everyone! Welcome to the Five Beer Plan. I'm Brian, and this is the ongoing saga of an everyman's ale trail. In this episode, we'll take a college tour of the best beer towns, go tailgating, drill down into beer styles with Corey Smith from Twin Oaks Brewing in Port Clinton, Ohio, and review Truth from Rheingeist Brewing. In this segment of Tales from the Trail, with opening kickoff at many colleges coming in the next weekend or two, it seemed like a great time to call a timeout and talk about the best college towns for beer or breweries in America. It's no surprise that where there are universities, there are also endless dive bars and plenty of breweries. For the underclassmen among us, red cups are optional with craft beer. With hundreds of colleges and universities across the country, it makes it really tough to come up with a short list. I did a fair amount of digging online, and there are a lot of differing opinions and approaches to rankings. In 2016, Thrillist came up with a conference of 11 college town breweries, ranking them, ensuring that the breweries had to be the original location. The Athletic published a top 21 in 2020, where College Town is defined as a place where college sports are the biggest deal going, and Division I only to keep it simple. I've seen some ranked by major conferences or even teams within a conference or division. Honestly, you can make yourself crazy breaking it down any way you want to. So to be fair, I thought it only appropriate that I include a list of my own top college towns. My criteria is a little bit different. Since my alma mater, the leaders and best, the University of Michigan made it to the semifinals of the college football playoffs in 2021, I thought it only fitting that Ann Arbor be part of the conversation. So instead of going all Big Ten, I decided to use the four teams that made it to the CFP semifinals, Alabama, Cincinnati, Georgia, and Michigan, and took a look at these college towns. So let's start. Ann Arbor, Michigan boasts nine breweries in total. Names such as Holmes, Jolly Pumpkin, and Wolverine State top a pretty diverse list. Mothfire, Grizzly Peak, Townies, Blue Tractor, Beer Camp, Blome Meadworks and Arbor Brewing, though it's in nearby Ypsilanti, round out the remaining breweries. Wolverine State was an early favorite of mine with their Gulo Gulo IPL. Holmes does a fantastic job with their Metaform IPA and Sinisure Sour Series. And of course, Jolly Pumpkin speaks for itself with its farmhouse approach. I've been to most of these locations over the course of my craft beer journey, and the ever-changing craft beer scene here will always have a special place in my heart. Athens, Georgia is home of the dogs and a solid lineup of eight breweries. Nationally known Creature Comforts and Terrapin lead the pack with Academia, Southern, Normal Town, Authentic, Figment, and Monk's Meadery following close behind. When Creature Comforts Tropicalia was featured on the Untapped podcast, I had my main beer ski bring back a six-pack when he went to the Peach State. It definitely lived up to the expectations. And as an aside, Terrapin is now not a craft brewery since Molson Coors bought a majority stake in 2016. They now have a larger distribution footprint and can be found in most major markets. I will say that leading up to this sale, Terrapin had a pretty strong IPA game in the Hopsecutioner. Although Cleveland and Columbus are at the center of most of the craft beer conversations here in the Midwest, with 18 breweries, not counting Sam Adams or Brewdog who have tap rooms, the home of the Bearcats, Cincinnati, Ohio, can hold its own. It's a destination that I have yet to explore in person, though I have had beer from many of the breweries located there. Worth noting are Mad Tree, Listerman, Urban Artifact, 
Rheingeist, Braxton, Moorline, Bad Time Smith, and Fibonacci. Urban Artifact has a huge sour and tart game. If you get a chance, beers like Astrolabe, Operation Plowshare, or Wickerwork will pucker you up with fruity goodness. Listerman is one that I've only just discovered in the past couple of years. They have great label art, and with beers like National Cat Day, Saturday the 14th, or Bad Dad Jokes, I think you understand why they are a favorite of mine. And I'll talk about Rheingeist a little bit later. And that finally brings me to the home of the Crimson Tide, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Surprisingly, there are only two breweries located there, Druid City and Black Warrior. I guess it's a good thing that their football game is so successful. My only exposure to Druid City was a Neon Moon Berliner Weiss my parents brought back earlier this year from Alabama. Black Warrior looks to be the leader there, so I'll have to keep my eyes open. So no matter what college town your team is located in, be sure to score a touchdown and support the local breweries there, whether you go in person, buy at curbside, or at your favorite liquor store. And don't miss the extra point here. Find brew pubs that offer local food pairings as well. Those are my favorite. This week's Hop Hack is about tailgating under stadium flights. Where there are college sports involved, there's usually some sort of party breaking out of the trunk or hatch. The first tailgate I can remember was when I was barely 16 years old. My dad had a couple co-workers who were alumni from the University of Michigan. We've always been big fans of the Wolverines, and I can remember listening to Bob Eufer on the radio announcing the games. I was excited. It was early November, and I had never been to a college game. So the four of us piled into their car, and we drove to West Lafayette, Indiana, which is a three-hour drive. I don't know why we ended up parking amidst all the Purdue alumni tailgating, but anyway, we set ourselves up, and because I was underage, of course, I didn't partake. We had a blast with the fans there, sharing food and just laughing it up. Anyway, when all was said and done, the two co-workers passed out in the back seat, and though he was probably capable of driving us home, my dad had a few drinks and didn't want to drink and drive. So it was up to me, the only sober driver, to get us home. Some of my favorite tailgates were with a co-worker and her family who had a prime space on the U of M golf course just minutes from the stadium. All of our co-workers would drop in and it was always a lot of fun. A couple of former co-workers who couldn't get yingling in Michigan, so I would always bring them a 24-pack or two to get them through the winter. There was lots of food, plenty of beer, and great camaraderie. Here are a few tailgating tips that I've learned when attending such festivities. The first would be to drink plenty of water leading up to the event, and if possible, even during the event. This will help make sure that you stay hydrated no matter how much beer you drink. If you're the host, you can freeze water bottles the day before and then use them to keep your beverages cold, and then once they've melted, you have bottles of water to drink. Food is another necessity for tailgating. You need to make sure that you stay fueled up to some extent. I always make sure to bring some sort of food along, even if the hosts don't require it. Even a bag of chips or a pack of cookies are a welcome sight, since there tends to be a lot of drop-ins. And for the hosts, if you're preparing the main protein, be sure to assign sides or appetizers for those attending to minimize the preparation burden on yourself. It's always fun to see what kinds of dips or desserts your friends come up with. The final one would be to bring beer. Plenty of it. I often would bring something that most everyone would enjoy, like a lager or a pilsner. And then I'd bring something else along that might be unique from somewhere I've traveled or maybe something regionally that folks can't get. If you're hosting, supply a sessionable craft beer or two. Support your local independent breweries. No NASCAR beers, please. 
and maybe even some craft cider for those who like it a little bit sweeter. The main thing is to have fun and have a designated driver if possible. Nobody wants to get a penalty called on them for legal motion or offsides. All right, well, welcome to Barstool Banter. I'm sitting down uh, virtually with Corey Smith from Twin Oaks Brewing in Port Clinton, Ohio. So uh, what is your favorite style of beer? I always end up leaning in two camps. It's either I really want a solid IPA, which seems to be a pretty typical answer, I know, but they're popular for a reason. There's so much you can do. And if you have a really unique IPA, like that always blows my mind. And I love, like I said, a good half. The best hefts in my mind have just a little bit of a bubblegum undertone. Bubblegum, a little bit of vanilla in there. And if you can nail that perfectly, it just sets yourself so far apart from the other hefts on the market. And it's tough to get. And so every once in a while, I'll try a beer. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's just, you know, I'll get the heft that they have. And it comes out and it's beautiful. And to me, that yeast expression uh, is something maybe people don't appreciate enough you know everyone's always trying to find these crazy hopped beers and they're super fun obviously i love them but when you can get a beer that has a yeast expression that comes out just like perfectly it it, that to me kind of shows that you know what you're doing as a brewer and as a brewery and and i always find that to be fascinating the chemistry behind brewing is pretty complex no it absolutely is no i just was talking to a guy who uh he just started a uh, distillery and he was like well you know what we all call brewers right he goes quitters. <laughs> so I never heard that joke, but now I'm like, it kind of makes sense. But brewing, there's just so much that you can do. And the smallest changes make such a difference. You know, going back to the, the half, you know, for example, we've been tweaking that since year one for us. And we just found the exact formulation and the, the profile that we like. And it was a one degree difference. I mean, we, it was literally fermenting it one degree warmer, changed everything completely for us. And, and it's just weird how just small changes like that can get exactly where you need to be. There are a lot of things that can go really, really right with brewing, and there are a lot of things that can go really, really wrong as well. Luckily, we haven't had too many go really, really wrong, but, uh, you know, we're, it's still young. we got time to mess up. Well, and of course, you know, the investment, uh, right? So you, you go from home brewing, you mess up a homebrew kit, you're doing just, you know, maybe a half gallon or something of beer, no big deal. Yeah. You start talking about 15 barrels, 30 barrels, uh, you yeah. know, then it's a little bit more of a, ouch, that really cuts into the, the bottom line a little bit. We've got to think a little bit more uh, strategic about how we're going to tackle this next time around. So trying to go 100% all in with the farmer fermenter thing, we went and cultivated our own yeast. And so we actually scraped cherry bark off of one of the trees, uh, sent it into a lab and they propped it up for us. And it was a non-sour, non-infecting uh, yeast. I think it was style one positive. So it was going to have a little diastaticus, but at the same time, it was like, we can use this and we can use this all the time. And if it turns out great, like let's, let's keep running with this. And we did a pilot batch and it had this awesome berry note to it in terms of the aroma, but then it was an extremely clean yeast on the flavor. And I was like, well, this is, we're onto something here. So we propped it up and went to a 30 barrel batch. We had a little bit of a problem because our, our thermometer on the yeast prop tank was misreading. So we weren't getting the fermentation we thought we were and the temperatures we thought we were before we pitched. And so it was an underpitched beer. And at first it turned out okay. And then midway through, it just was the only way to describe it was fart. It was just sulfur 
butyric it just did not smell very good at all and i had no idea why this happened from this perfectly clean yeast that was in, in the fermenter for three weeks was fine and after week three turned on us and so you know you talk about a 30 barrel batch that we we took a chance on and ended up saying it wasn't worth it it is a little bit scary but at the same time if you don't take those risks i mean you'll never you never learn from those mistakes and, and it's hard to it's hard to really kind of put your own name out there unless you're doing something a little different too and it goes back again to uh, you know, the creativity and the, the resiliency of the industry, especially the small independent craft brewers such as yourself. If you gave up after you know batch one and said, well, doesn't work and move on to you know whatever's the popular flavor of the day, then you're not unique any longer. You've lost your character. Exactly. And, and that was something from the beginning we didn't want to be in. Obviously, IPA sells. So it's yeah. like yeah. you need to be able to have at least one, maybe two. At one point, I think we had three or four, which was like a record for us. Now, it says on our website, and we put that on day one, which is, you know, we're not trying to be the most overpowering, whether it's the hoppiest or the darkest beers. I like those beers that are right in the middle. You know, I, I always, I think we're starting to see that lager pendulum uh, swing towards people are really digging on Pilsners and, and light lagers right now. I say light in quotes, not, not a Bud Light style, but lighter, crisper lager. And that's where we want to be anyway. I would love to have another lager tank and be able to have a lager on tap all year round. But that's, again, something we have to grow into. And, you know, we always try and stay between four and a half and six and a half percent on our ABVs for a majority of our beers. And there's, you know, there's that reason is I think having that nice drinkable, easy, approachable beer is something people are really looking forward to right now. So I think you're too legit double IPA. I think that one comes in at eight and a half percent, hundred IBUs. That was a, that was a, an amazing beer. In the our top 20 at the Alpha King challenge past two years, and we're trying to hope to, to break into the top three there, that would be nice, but that's a beer we're really proud of. It's a lot of fun. Tell me about the Alpha King. I, I've not heard of that. Free Floyds puts on a, uh, not necessarily the hoppiest beer, but what they consider the best hopped beer. We actually felt that was a good uh, beer for that because they say it shouldn't be overly bitter. It shouldn't be overly in your face to the point where there's no balance. As long as there's some balance, they, they score that well. I'm trying to think of some of the bigger breweries that have won that in the past. You know, your toppling Goliaths usually do pretty well there. And some of your big breweries that are known for your hoppy beers, but Two years in a row now, we've submitted to Legit, and it's gotten in the, the top 20. If you win, you get a big golden crown, and they put this on, I believe, with uh, YCH, if I'm not mistaken, Yakima uh, Chief Hops. Yeah, it's a competition they do. It always happens right around GABF time. That's a fun time for us because we'll sit there and see how we did at GABF, and then the next day look at Alpha King, and hopefully we can, uh, we can put a little feather in our hat from those, but always a fun competition for us. So have you ever been to GABF? Yeah, we went in 2019. We actually set up a booth there, and then we're going to be there again this year. Nice. Uh, we'll, we'll have a booth. We're going to bring some of our team. And we did win silver in the, uh, the strong wood age stout category for our Meet Your Maker, which was one of the craziest things I've ever achieved. I mean, <laughs> never, <laughs> yeah. never would have thought that we were going to be winning GABF medals. That's one of those stretch goals. Yeah, that was a really fun thing for us. But yeah, the actual festival itself, talk about the best four days of your life. <laughs> Going around, trying all these breweries, you'll never get to try it if you're just sitting in Ohio. It, it's a blast. I mean, one ounce at a time, three hours later, <laughs> you're having a good time. That's one of those that's on my uh, my bucket list. So I'd love to get out there. Yeah. I've got a friend who lives in Denver and said, oh yeah, come stay with us. It'd be fun. 
Now, was that the first time that you had been to GABF? Going into our opening year, we actually went 2018. And the whole family went, it's just kind of like, a, hey, let's celebrate. We just opened a brewery. And yeah. We're going to go check out what these other places are doing. And then uh, 2019, I took my my management crew as like a thank you for, for a year of hard work. And so we went out there and enjoyed that. But it's definitely one of those, like any, I'm dropping everything I can, I have to, to get to GABF. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's something I circle every year on the calendar. So what beer or beers are you taking this year? Doing five and and I'm trying to remember exactly which one we're doing the meet your maker again that has okay. to has to um, be out there. We're putting our legitimate swells, which is okay. we call it an IPA, yep. but we're putting it under the strong pale category because it's okay. not quite bitter enough to be a real IPA. Our Ostweizen, and I know we're putting our Prost, which is our uh, our Marzen. That one's won medals at the U.S. Beer Open. I think it got silver at U.S. Beer Open Championship. So. I believe we're putting the porter back out there, the ship burner and the brown porter category. I think we're taking those five and cool. then we're actually going to pour 10 beers there when we're at the, the festival. So if you're able to ever get out there and, and swing on by, it's basically <laughs> it's the same amount of beers we have in the tap room right now, which is going to be cool. What is your least favorite kind of beer to drink? I would honestly say most Belgian double triples quads are just not my thing. A lot of them just get way too funky, way too much on the uh, the phenols. And, and it's just not a flavor I, I normally like. But again, I've had some where they're absolutely great and you want to drink them. I would say 80% of the Belgian doubles plus I can take or leave. Not a style that I go for. That's fair. Now that I'm pretty much open. I mean, I like I even like the the weird, you know, the English bitters and the uh, the alt beers and the just the random ones that that we don't see a lot in the states. As as much right. as I can get my hands on them, I'll I'll try just about anything. But something about Belgians, there's something about that funky yeast character that does not jive well. As I mentioned, I was out there in May and I sampled uh, several different styles. I think you have twelve. You have on tap at a time. We try and keep 12 at all times, and we have 20 taps at the main bar. We normally have a guest cider and a guest meat on, and then a root beer. So really, we have 17 that we can use for beer. But I think there was one time in our history we've actually had all 17 tapped. So So when I was there, one of the things that I like, I personally just like to try as many different styles as I can, as many different beers as I can. And, and when I go someplace for the first time, I always will get a flight or even two just because I want to try the different styles. So I had, I think I had a sour, I had a Saison, I had a Schwartz beer, I had the, I had the Imperial Red and, and one of the IPAs. They were all really great tasting beers, Corey. Along those lines, so I bought something uh, <laughs> here called Toast. Yeah. It is uh, your take on a Kolsch. You know, I see here it's 4.8%. 15 IBUs, so it's going to be probably pretty nice and light. While you tell me about this beer, I'm going to crack it open and I'm going to try it out. Yeah, for sure. No, the, that that's a great beer. That's one of the first beers we ever brewed. And it was supposed to be, you know, our take on a champagne beer. Uh, what was the point? It was Berliner Weiss is the champagne of the North, but uh, right. you know, we try to think of Kolsch as the same kind of concept where it's got a little bit of that white grape thing from the yeast that comes through. It's super light and effervescent. And so the the concept was, hey, we're opening, let's celebrate, let's, let's have a toast. And so we got this beer and uh, has 
mostly Pilsner malt, just a touch of white wheat in there, a little bit of care foam for, for a little bit of head retention. But for the most part, it's a, it's strictly Pilsner malt beer. Uh, and we fermented it roughly 55 degrees and just kind of let it do its thing. But one of the things, you know, I, I talked about bringing in a, a brewer when we first opened to kind of help out and make sure things went really well. One of the things he taught was you really got to have patience. And me, I get so super excited about trying a beer and trying a beer. And it's like, well, it hit terminal. It's done. Let's move. That's not the way this beer can work. You know, we had to let this one chill. And so while it's not technically a lager, I think we give it a full 30 days to ferment condition and just be able to settle into what it really is. Um, so you should get a nice little biscuity, crackery, breadiness from the malt should be really effervescent. And like I said, a little bit of white wine character should come through from the yeast. Looks like he got a little haziness going on, a little chill haze going maybe, but should be sparkling clear. We do filter it this. Is. And uh, it's it's just a super crisp, easy drinker for us. And we did a smaller batch than in previous years just to kind of say, hey, here we released it on our anniversary. So it was fourth year anniversary. Let's have a toast. And then uh, we'll bring it back every year for that. I love that. And I think, you know, when we hit some of those bigger milestones, like for the fifth year, maybe 10 years, we'll do some different styles of beers. But this one, it's just a fun one to have is, again, it's our version of champagne. We actually have aged this in Chardonnay barrels before, which turned out really interesting. You got more of that white grape thing coming through and we bottle conditioned that, did cork and cage. And that was a super fun beer to to put out. I thought it added a lot of different complexity to what's already a pretty complex beer, but that's one that we might do again in the future here. Kolsch is one of those beers too that, you know, it's got a light enough profile, flavor, aroma and whatnot that you can add just a little bit of maybe a little blueberry or maybe even a little orange and just add a little bit of character to it that just elevates that, like the white wine, you know, aging exactly. in barrels. I mean, that's, that's great. Yeah, no, exactly. And a little bit would go a long way with that. I mean, I think we Indeed. put a little bit of a, I'm trying to think of which noble hop it is. It might be Czech Saz in there just to give it a touch. It's pretty much an unhopped beer. I think 15 IBUs is it. Yes. Uh, yep. Basically, we just held hops over the fermenter and kind of blew at it. It's just a really crushable summertime beer. It's a great beer, Corey. It really is. Because there are a lot of people out there that still haven't really caught on to what craft brewing is. And they think, well, it's just all IPAs. It's all just stouts, porters. A beer like this, it would be a great gateway beer, so to speak, for somebody who's new to craft beer. Because it's light. It it gives you that, no offense, it gives you that NASCAR beer kind of feel to it. Because it's nice and light, clear, clean. But it's just, it's handcrafted. It's exactly. not mass produced. And I think that's, that's the thing people don't realize. Uh, there's a huge difference. I, I might've said it earlier, but we are all about gateway beers. <laughs> mm-hmm. our, okay. our core five are almost, you know, with the IPA being the exception, they're almost all section, uh, not by name, but you know, by virtue, they, they really are. And that's, that's the whole goal is our core five beers. We have a, a old Ohio, which is our blonde. It's, you know, a light malt. Our porters are dark malt. Then we have a hoppy, we have a yeasty and we have a sour. Like that's kind of the way I think about it in terms of we touch on all the bases of what brewing can be and in a really approachable style so that people can try them out year round. Hey, this is pretty good. Let me go check them out. And then we can kind of, you know, open the top a little bit and see if there's a little bit more flavor we can get into the profile, but there's nothing wrong with a really well done entry level beer. 
in my mind, whenever I hear session session beer, I think of a session IPA. But really, sessionable just means that it's a drinkable beer. It's not something that's like crazy over the top. It's just something you can drink, crush on it if you want. So exactly, yeah. They I think they normally try and label that at like five percent and less. And you know, our porter is five point one, so it's it's right on the brink <laughs> of quote unquote session beer or not. Yeah. Well, I, I can see that there are a lot of additional beers that I need to get on my list to, uh, to try out from Twin Oaks. Yeah, yeah, come on out. Is there any beer out there that you've always wanted to try, but you've never been able to because of distribution or because of the seasonal nature? I used to be big into the beer trading world, and I used to I used to have a beer podcast and all these things where I would I had my top 10 list of beers I needed to try. And I've been able to try some of them recently, just going to GABF. Uh, trying some of the things out there that was able to to knock off a lot of them. I actually had a, a friend of from my podcast days. He brought me a Fofoon from Cantillon, and that was one that I really wanted to try. And we just cracked it open. Uh, so a nice apricot lambic. Would never have been able to get that before, but he took a picture and was like, hey, there's a bottle here. Do you want me to get it for you? <laughs> Please, yes. <laughs> I'll do whatever you need. I might be a little bit behind the times of some of the newer fun beers that are coming out, but I really, I've had Pliny the Elder, but the younger sounds fascinating. I would love to go to uh, Hill Farmstead, sit there and just have flight after flight. I had a couple of their beers at a, a little brewery, the Prohibition Pig in Vermont. I was on a random trip out there and I sat down and they had Lawson's, they had Alchemist, they had Hill Farmstead. And I looked at her, I was like, you realize this is probably the best tap list in the world, right? <laughs> like <laughs> it was absolutely insane at that time. And um, so I got to try a couple things there. And so I would love to go sit down and digest uh, a few bottles of the Hill Farmstead offerings because they're just always fantastic. I love that really house yeast kind of character they have in their Saison. As we wrap up, I have one last fun question. If you were a beer, what style would you be and why? You know, I just was mentioning Cezanne. I think that's actually a, a, probably a, a pretty good answer. For me, I, I change with the seasons, <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, and I always kind of feel like whether it's what I'm brewing, what I'm drinking, what I'm interested in, it's very seasonally based and having, you know, Cezanne meaning season in French. I think that that kind of works out and that's such a broad topic of beers and it's, you know, not all of them are the same. They all have their unique locality. And I think that's what we want out of our brewery as well. And that really resonates with who I am. Yeah. And I think you're succeeding there at Twin Oaks. Congrats. Cause I think you guys are doing a really good job and setting the bar high for, uh, for Northwest Ohio. Thank you. Good work. Thank you for, uh, for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. It's been great uh, getting to know you. Hopefully we can uh, maybe have a pint sometime uh, there at the tap room together. Absolutely. Let me know next time you're coming out. I'll make sure to, to pop out. Usually if we're, if we're really busy, I get caught back in the kitchen trying to help them get caught up. But, uh, <laughs> you shoot me a text. I'll make sure to pop out and have a drink. Awesome. That sounds great, Corey. Well, thanks again, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care. Thank you for having me. Last call. It's nearly time to wrap things up, but first one more for the road. This episode I'm drinking an American IPA called Truth from Rheingeist Brewing in Cincinnati, Ohio. From the brewery, rare are moments of truth when you've struck the last match, belting out tunes with your friends, staring deep into the campfire, times when you feel infinite. Our truth is found in the scintillating brilliance of hops. Brewed with a nod to the Pacific, hops sizzle with tropical fruit aroma, grapefruit and mango notes, and a dry finish. Truth 
is their flagship IPA clocking in at a modest 7.2% ABV. It is brewed with Amarillo, Citra, Simcoe, and Centennial hops. Without further delay, since I pour this out into my glass, it pours a nice uh, light golden color. Definitely has a little bit of a, uh, a generous head as I pour it out. So first aromas coming out of the can, definitely very tropical. Get a lot of uh, stone fruit on the nose. First taste, I'll definitely get uh, some good grapefruit notes. Uh, maybe a little bit of, again, more stone fruit, maybe some mango, but definitely tropical in nature. And it's got just a mild bitterness to it. You can tell it's an IPA, but it's not like in your face, just killing your palate. So it does finish with a little bit of dryness. It's a, it's a very, very smooth beer. For a beer that has 75 IBU, it, it, it doesn't drink like that at all. It drinks like something that's uh, about half of that. Being that it's an American IPA, it's definitely got a little bit of, uh, of a malty backbone to it that you, can, uh, that you can detect there. But again, very, very subtle. So this is one of my favorite beers to take along tailgating. Historically, simply because people hadn't heard of Rheingeist. The distribution footprint is a little bit larger now, so you know Rheingeist is now becoming a little bit more common here in the Midwest. Pop out these green cans with the, uh, the cute little skull on it. Definitely unmistakable. Yeah, it looks like a little skull teardrop. According to the brewers, it meant to unite the city's brewing history with its future. Hence, Rheingeist proudly defines itself as Cincy-made. If you have a beer that you're looking forward to take to a tailgate, I would highly recommend this one to go along. Rheingeist, I give this one three and a half tasters out of five on the flight board. Cheers! Well, if you've got a beer you'd like me to drink and describe, leave a comment below. If you're a brewer and have one in mind, direct message me on Instagram and let's see what we can do. That's all for this episode of the 5 Beer Plan. With so many podcasts out there, thanks for choosing to listen to mine. Join me next time with my takeaways from Burning Foot Beer Fest 2022, share another hop hack, and chat with Nick Lavelle from Brewery Nicks. Remember to hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. I'd love to hear from you, so please follow me on Instagram, 5 Beer Plan 2022, and leave a comment to let me know what your favorite college beer town is. Be sure to support your local breweries, choose your beers wisely, and drink them responsibly. Until next time, keep walking your ale trail, and stay thirsty, my friend!